the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Welcome to uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning and welcome back. Thank you. And joining us for uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics, and always a pleasure when she can be with us, uh, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Much, Tom. As always, this is such an interesting conversation. Um, and it's it's been an especially good one today, and we kind of dropped off at the end of part one, and, and uh, I, I don't normally do this opening up uh, the second hour, but uh, if there's uh, any any comments that uh, someone wants to add or amend to what we were talking about when we went to the break, uh, I'll, I'll entertain that at this time. Well, Tom, I, I just wanted to simply make this last statement. I think what happened yesterday at City Hall in Flint, Michigan, enables, helps to enable the healing between the community and the police department. That's the bigger overarching goal of what we all would hope that this would achieve. But it was the beginning of a process. And we have to reestablish good police um, patrols in our cities, credible, and that knows how to deal with people who uh, break the law and 
and get rid of rogue policemen and so on and so forth. But we need a, <clears throat> a good, respectful police department. And there were many that were there yesterday. And uh, I was glad to see that. And they were treated with respect and dignity, as uh, and many of them may have felt killed by what has happened throughout this country. And we need to reestablish confidence, stability in the police department so that they are in it able to go out and do their job day after day and feel that they're doing something good and respectful. I, I, you know, I don't, this is sort of a tangential point maybe, but I'd like to say that I still think that the whole defund the police motto that the people of my party uh, propagated was one of the worst things that has been said. Terrible slogan. (laughs) It's a uh, horrible slogan, and it's so detracts us from the point that Henry's trying to make. Uh, You know, we need to figure out how to have effective community policing, and we certainly don't get there by saying ridiculous things like defund the police. It's just, uh, that drives me crazy every time I hear it. Well, um, well uh, I think we've made the point here on on, on the show that uh, we've been de- defunding the Flint Police for years, long before there was a slogan, <laughs> <laughs> for all, all kind of other reasons. Well, recently retired Detroit Police Chief James Craig got some mileage out of that phrase. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw this uh, this story, but... Uh, He detailed his journey from a born Democrat to a dedicated Republican at a GOP rally in Jackson yesterday, stopping just short of declaring himself a candidate for governor of Michigan, speaking on the street corner that Michigan Republicans claim as the 1854 birthplace of their party. Craig touted his support of the Second Amendment and his opposition to abortion rights while decrying Democrats as a party he said believes in handouts rather than self-reliance. And then he said uh, in his first political stump speech, I will defend our police, not defund them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we we totally set set ourselves up for that one change, that change of one letter, yeah. To, uh, and and he's, to he's he's got a bumper that sticker ridiculous. now. That's going to be a bumper sticker. Defend yeah. defend our know, police, re- not defund them. Yeah. Or defend, not defund. One just change simple. of one damn letter. It just you know, as a writer who cares about words, it just it just totally aggravates me that that was that that phrase came up because for most of us for most of us who lean in that in the lean towards the left, and I'm. You know, as a journalist, I'm supposed to be open to both sides here. Uh, so it hurts me when um, when people who seem to be, who have their hearts in the right place maybe, articulate it re- in a way that's uh, not facilitative. It's by far the opposite. So ugh, drives me crazy. Okay, I've had my little vent. I'll take a breather now. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that that phrase is going to be used against Democrats, unfortunately, and it will become a bumper sticker. Uh, that that the phrase he just used. Well, Craig also and we need talked talked conversation. about conversation, conversation with people like Henry, and and the people who were at City Hall yesterday, contributing to this heartbreaking issue that we're all trying to grapple with. Uh, we we need to have that conversation, but. Uh, not to have it set up the way that it was by that ridiculous motto. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Craig also talked about celebrating our independence from the rule of Governor Gretchen Whitmer after the 2022 election, but did not explicitly declare himself a candidate for the state's highest office. How long can Craig campaign without announcing he's campaigning? <laughs> well, we can go on for a while, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I mean well, everybody just what I think he's now. trying to figure out is whether he will get his hometown support. Because if he transfers to a Republican, that is, makes it much more difficult. And if you don't win Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb County, you cannot win a statewide. Right. Yeah. yeah that's, that's true. <clears throat> well, Governor. It, 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 it's, it's going to be a stretch. I mean, he's, he certainly looks like the front runner now. I don't think that James is going to go get into it from what, the way it looks right now. So he's, at the moment, at least, is certainly the front runner. Yeah, if James was going to get in it, he'd be in it now, or I think at the so. very least, he'd be raising money. And the fact that he would be that he was raising money would get leaked. Yeah, yeah, and and that's one reason to get out in front early is to start raising money early, and that that may be his may be Craig's advantage. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced the Michigan Shot to Win sweepstakes Thursday, outlining a lottery-style raffle <laughs> that will give vaccinated Michiganders a shot at about $5 million in cash prizes and a combined total of nearly $500,000 in college scholarships. The sweepstakes open Thursday and will run through August 3rd featuring a single drawing of $50,000 each day for 30 days, as well as a chance to win a single $1 million drawing and one $2 million drawing. The sweepstakes open Thursday and will run through August 3rd, featuring a single drawing. Oh, I already said that. Um, for vaccinated 12 to 17-year-olds, the sweepstakes also includes nine chances to win a four-year Michigan Education Trust charitable tuition program contract valued at $55,000 each. Um, I, I really just brought that up to say that I entered the sweepstakes. But <laughs> well, <laughs> well, incentives like this move Michigan and the U.S. vaccinations past the herd immunity goal? Oh, uh, I, I hope so, but I, I just saw a story uh, with uh, about Ohio's lottery that they've been running for a while. And at least the the indication was that when when push came to shove, that the lottery in Ohio didn't make an awful lot of difference. Maybe it bumped up a few percentage points, but for all all the talk that Ohio had about their million dollar lottery, that it doesn't seem at least from this one story, doesn't seem to have made an awful lot of difference. So, but like I say, if it works, it's probably a good investment. I think if it, if it gets us fully vaccinated. I'm skeptical. I, I, I'm rolling yeah. my eyes about the whole thing because yeah. why don't they just divide the money up and pay people directly when they get their vaccination if they're going to go that route? You know, what, I mean, paying, giving somebody a million dollars on a random drawing for getting a shot seems like a pretty expensive thing for that person's shot that they got. Uh, when people aren't getting vaccinated, this is my view here, uh, they're they're taking a chance with if they don't get vaccinated they're taking a chance with their own lives so uh, the whole idea of randomness here just uh, it's just it seems like a weird way of thinking about it yeah uh, you know why not just think that you're helping to save your own life and the people the people's lives around you by getting your shot they I I think they should if they're going to go that route they should just divide it up 
and pay people to get the shot or something like that. I you agree. Know, I, would, I agree with that. You know, actually, it's been done already. I mean, I think I, I know at, at Myers they gave you a ten dollar gift gift certificate if you got a shot there. Yeah, and I know yeah. a lot of athletic teams gave you free tickets, so if you got a shot, you know, you can go see a ball game or something. So it's it's, it's been done in, in many ways around the country. And I think yeah. government is trying to do too much for people. People have choices. They have constitution to protect themselves from the encroachment of government to rule over 100% of their lives. If they don't want to take the virus, um, uh, you know, solution, then that's their choice. But then there are consequences to that. My goodness, like you say, yeah. um, if they yeah. take risks with their lives, it's their choice. And, and why does government want to take that away from people? It's the ba very basic. And besides, you're, you're, you're creating expectations for government to do more and more for you. And we just don't have the money or the resources or the political will to do all of that stuff. So I think people should have their choices. Yeah, I mean, I guess if it works, great. But it does communicate yeah. something along the lines of what you're saying, Henry, about the role of government. What is there? A way, are we giving up on trying to convince people to do the right thing? And uh, do we have to? Do we have to pay them to do the right thing. Do we have to pay them to agree of what's true? Uh, it's. I'm, I'm sounding like an old fart today, but. Um. <laughs> I was going to say, now, now my understanding is this is not government money, is it? Isn't this private money that's being put up for the Michigan lottery? Because, I, because the Michigan lottery laws does, didn't allow a separate lottery. That's why we couldn't imitate uh. Ohio. I, I but think the government the, sanctions it, guys. Yeah, I know. The they're, yeah, they're, they're, they kind of push. But I thought yeah. Myers yeah. and maybe uh, some statewide chamber of commerce or a similar group was putting up the money, I think. I thought uh, that in Ohio, at least, it was part of the relief funds that came in. Maybe that was part of it, too. I don't know. Yeah, but I, yeah you know, not only uh, with the virus things, but we have to pay people to vote and to go to the poll and all of that. That is not democracy, guys. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's made upon the will, individual will. Yeah, it's well, like you have, yeah. To, you have to pay people to do the right thing. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe because if there's no other influence that's working to get people to do the quote-unquote right thing. So we just give them cash and see if that helps. <laughs> just a little bit. Well, I, I have a, a, a slightly different view of this and, and at the risk of joining Jan in the old fart corner. I, um, <laughs> Ed, go ahead. We have been bribing politicians for so long, it's about time they bribe us. Uh, that's oh, a, right. that's a good slogan. That's that's good. Yeah, I guess there's some truth to that. That will yeah. be remembered. <laughs> anyway, we do have to take a uh, a short break, but we have uh, a few more serious things to talk about before we uh, before we get to uh, the X Files on uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics. If you're listening to us on WFOV. Our voice is Radio 92.1 LPFM in Flint, WFOV. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. Uh, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We have more of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program coming up right after this uh, short break. Stay tuned. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. The GOP-controlled Senate and House sent Governor Gretchen Whitmer a K-12 funding bill Wednesday that eliminates the long-standing funding gap between Michigan school districts, giving each a basic per-pupil grant of $8,700. Whitmer is expected to sign the bill, part of a record $17.1 billion school aid package, into law. But she chastised lawmakers for going on summer break without finishing other major parts of the budget. The closure of the uh, school district funding gap approved by the Senate on Wednesday and the House on June 24th is seen as historic. Should student funding equity in Michigan be seen as historic? Ideally well, not. Yeah. It's continuous. Uh, funding, you, uh, t- it, it ramps up with the time, the conditions, and, and changes in the state law and requirements and stuff like that. That will never, you will never meet, meet a maximum there. It's always growing. It has to come from an but should an it, but should it be considered Henry should it be considered historic that all students are getting the same amount? Um, yeah, but uh, no, uh, yes, for students, but for the people who manage systems of education, you have to have some kind of accountability. That's that's all and negotiable, that, but student equity or funding equity should be the norm. I, I at least that's how I see yeah, it. Yeah, too. Yeah, true. yeah, I agree, Tom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, I I believe that too. But but the people who manage from day one. Yeah, but the people who manage it uh, spend money unwisely. They invest in things that they should not. They don't <clears throat> always work with the the best uh, practices in education that gives the greatest results for uh are, are you talking about when it gets distributed to the local district yes yes uh, does anybody feel like talking about flint's particular situation yeah <laughs> <that>? probably not <laughs> uh, yeah i i think all kids should i thought it was going to be um eleven thousand dollars that was the number that they thought originally, but it, uh, currently the amount per average school district is about $7,200. That is a remarkable change. 8800 Was it 8800 <laughs> Yeah, it was 87 wasn't it? Yeah, it was 8700 Okay, But, but notice that, the, the, the gap in there. There's a, there's a big improvement. Yeah. But then, then lo- local districts, if they have the resources, if they choose, can't they choose to supplement that as they see fit? Henry? Um, I thought there's some limits, but I thought there was a local districts, particularly those that are well off, if they have you know the tax base and the resources, can choose to supplement that state state grants, and many of them do. Yes, they, they, there are those who are fortunate enough to do that, but basically, yeah. school districts don't have that prerogative. The cost of doing business and education just keeps rising. It's not based on the cost of teachers necessarily, but on every other thing that uh, affects student education. One of the reasons why you have these 
big changes is safety of the school building. We had to go out and hire policemen, and we had to guarantee that students were protected behind uh, closed doors uh, when there was an active uh, gun person. We had to hire counselors and stuff to assure that that students uh, psychologically are are uh, well off after an event happens when a kid is killed or stuff like that. The school has picked up a lot of baggage that should not be its responsibility. And then they have to use their uh, standard funding to cover some of that. And then we have the unfunded uh, mandates from state law that says, well, you got to do this and that, but they don't have the resources to do that. So what they yeah. do have to do is withdraw from their, their standard funds to cover these additional costs. So for, uh, school education funding is very complicated, and you don't see all of the moving parts. Um, it, could be, it could be considered historic. Yeah, it's historic, and maybe all students should be getting the same, and I would say that all students should be getting the same amount of dollars. That's equity. But how you use those. Right, uh, that's always the issue, isn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. that's the thing. In fact, one issue that was raised in Flint was the fact that a significantly higher percentage of Flint students were in one kind of one a special education program of one kind or another, which was notably more expensive, and and for that reason the the standard statewide allotment may not cover those quite as well as it does a district where there are fairly few students in the special ed programs. Right, I I found it shocking that it I, I understand. A third of the Flint students are in some kind of special uh, program. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's the number. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and then, how is that on the uh, short term? How is that all affected statewide by the relief funds coming in? The the um, Flint school district is supposedly getting around 100 million in two two installments of around 40 50 thousand. I mean, 40, 40 to 50 million each. Uh, how does that and how is that going to be affecting the distribution of uh, support around the state? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it will certainly be a temporary boost, but those funds aren't going to last forever. They'll be gone, presumably in a year or two. And then what do you do? Yeah. Well, President Joe Biden toured an orchard in northern Michigan on Saturday, the eve of the nation's 245th birthday. Uh, he was uh, accompanied by some high-ranking Michigan Democrats, including Governor Whitmer and both U.S. Senators, uh, Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters. When asked why he came to Michigan on the eve of Independence Day, the president smiled and said simply, Cherry pie. <laughs> was was the president's visit for the cherry pie? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't I, think so. <laughs> I think we're I think we're we're a battleground state, and, uh, <laughs> and it's a good good place to stop <laughs> during the cherry the cherry festival. 
Well, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Wednesday issued a blanket threat during a meeting with freshman members of his caucus that he would strip any Republican member of their committee assignments if they accept an offer from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to serve on the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th insurrection, which was six months ago yesterday. Uh, this according to two GOP sources with knowledge of the matter. McCarthy's threat comes after the House voted to establish the committee. Representatives Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois were the only two Republican members to vote in favor of its formation. Pelosi, who can appoint eight members to the committee, announced Thursday that Cheney will serve on the committee. McCarthy said Thursday that it's shocking that Cheney would accept an appointment to the select committee and did not deny that Cheney could lose her committee assignments as a result. What possible rationale does Minority Leader McCarthy have for keeping members of the GOP caucus from serving on this committee? Mm, I I mean, I, I understand they, they don't want this to be an issue for the 2022 campaign. It's too late but, for that. To, but exactly, it's going to be an issue. Under, in fact, by doing it this way, it's going to be probably a, a longer, longer-lasting issue than it would be if they'd gone with the the initial committee that would have been a a genuine bipartisan affair that would have been done fairly early. So, from his from his own point of view, McCarthy's point of view, it was a very foolish move, I think. I see just on CNN that um, he's decided apparently to play ball, sort of, that he's, de- that he's finalizing a group of appointees. Yeah, uh, that, that falls under Paul's category of and whatever happens in the next 24 hours. <laughs> True. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I, mean, I saw a glimpse of that this morning myself. But... Uh, I don't, Kevin McCarthy, like, I'm sorry, it seems, it feels like the Republicans are just playing to the lowest base, the lowest part of their base. Um, is that really what's going to, is that really what's moving forward, the Republican Party? Well, at I, least the Republican leadership certainly seems to be adopting that. Yeah, they're they're dancing with the most ignorant part of the base and mm-hmm. um, yeah, my, my question is well, what are they afraid of learning out of this thing i mean it's going to come out if they were there they have some role in it but by, but not by not being there they're going to have no role in this committee at all and maybe that gives them a chance to, to denounce it as a, as a partisan thing but it, yeah. the information is going to be there uh, has henry left us i was hoping that he might have some thoughts on this oh. henry are you still there Huh. I don't know. Huh. Maybe every once in a while we get a, a situation where he can hear us, but we can't hear him, and maybe he'll drop the call and, and call back uh-huh. so we can reconnect. Or or maybe the call just dropped. It, that's happened a time or two as well. So hopefully he'll call back and rejoin us. I just, I just want to say that Henry's comments like on everything are always so useful to my thinking, and especially when he starts talking about higher education because mm-hmm. part of that uh, at such a committed level for so many years, and I, I really value hearing what he has to say about that kind of stuff. So I hope he comes back in. 
And and he always has interesting things to add when it comes to uh, any time we talk about anything that involves science and and that is true. water yeah, treatment indeed. and so on because he spent yeah. years in that profession. Yeah, um, he gives Republicans a better name when it comes to science. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the White House is racing to finalize a government-wide strategy on how to respond to ransomware attacks that will deter companies from paying out ransoms to cyber criminals as the Biden administration grapples with yet another major attack on a U.S. firm by criminal actors believed to be based in Russia. For months, the National Security Council has been studying how to stop debilitating attacks on critical infrastructure entities and weighing what authorities... Uh, the government can invoke to quickly respond to and mitigate them according to officials and experts involved in the discussions. The NSC deliberations have centered not only on how to harden companies' cybersecurity, a key issue considering that the majority of the country's critical infrastructure is controlled by the private sector, but also how to stop the cycle in its tracks by disincentivizing and even banning companies from paying out ransoms. The pace of upper-level meetings on the subject at the National Security Council uh, has increased in recent weeks, the sources said, as the White House nears the end of its review. Should a national cybersecurity policy apply to the private sector? Hmm. I, uh, hmm. Only because I see the whole cybersecurity thing almost as more threatening than some of the traditional military kind of threats in the future. So I'm inclined to say yes, but I I do see the questions there because private companies ought to be able to run their own show, obviously. <clears throat> but from what's happened in a very minor way already with the the oil pipeline and the uh, uh, the meatpacking plants, suggests that the possibilities for for truly disastrous. Uh, actions are, are are out there in, in right. a very substantial way. Yeah, and while I see your point about um, private companies need to be able to run their own business, on the other hand, like all of us, private companies would expect protection from the government if they had a criminal attack, like uh, you know, if somebody came in and burned the place down, or commit—I mean, committed arson, or if there was a robbery or something—we would expect the government to. Uh, supply some protection there. So, if you look at it that way, um, yeah. think, you know, I do think it would be it. It makes sense to have some government uh, uh, protection or support available. And it really is, an, and on some level, it's still a national security issue. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, you can yeah. Danger. If you can shut down pipelines or shut down the food supply or, as I say, shut down a power grid, things of that nature. That's clearly a national security issue. Yeah, I mean, you could do that without a single bomb, without a single soldier, without a single gun. All you need yeah. is is some computer nerds that can do it. It's a uh, it's a very efficient way to to carry out war. Some might say. Yeah, and then the the, the other thing is you you can't be totally sure who's doing it. I mean, he, clearly these 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 recent ones are out of Russia, but the Russians as well. Wait, all the government's not doing it, but. They kind of wink at some of the private folks who are doing it apparently in Russia. That seems to be the case right now. So is it truly the government, Russian government, or is it just private actors that they've kind of given a green light to in Russia? It's, it's hard to say. 
I mean, it doesn't have to be government supporting it if these guys are getting money. If these yeah. guys are getting money, these guys are getting millions <clears throat> of dollars in ransom. Um, uh, that it's it, it's almost like a private. It's almost like the ransom. The hackers are are a private business themselves, and they're doing just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of creepy, isn't it? It is. Well, I just tried to uh, reconnect with Henry, and I'm having some trouble getting through on his phone. So there must be uh, some kind of a glitch there, and uh, maybe maybe hopefully if it resolves, he'll. He'll call in and rejoin us. Um, I did want to mention, this is on a very, very different topic and one I should have brought up a little bit earlier. Um, Paul had, uh, as he always does on Tuesdays, he <laughs> sends me a, an email with a few bullet points we might consider, and he pointed out that we're under a month now until the uh, August 3rd primary for the Flint City Council. And... Uh, I just I, I I wanted to bring that up and talk about it for a few minutes in in this is a little bit self-serving because starting July 15th for um 6 nearly consecutive days I will be interviewing all of the candidates for the Flint City Council or at least as many has uh, agreed, and most of the incumbents have agreed already, oh. and and several good. of the, the challenges. Very good. And I'm, I'm that's great. I'm doing it literally ward by ward. It'll start on Thursday, July fifteenth, with the second ward. I'm skipping the first ward because Eric Mays is unopposed and will not be on the primary ballot. Uh, two other wards will not be included in this. The fifth ward, which has only two candidates, so it will not be on the ballot. It will automatically go to the general. And the ninth ward, where Eva Worthing is unopposed and will not be on the primary ballot. So I'll just be doing the um, six wards that will appear on the ballot, the ones that are contested, and uh, I'll be interviewing all of the incumbents and uh, as many of the challengers as I can uh, get booked. Some are booked already, some I'm waiting to hear back from, but uh, um, watch my Facebook posts for uh, the daily posts on, on which ward and which candidates will will be featured. Yeah, I, I, think, I think those are some of the best resources for voters to learn about the candidates. When there's so many candidates, it's really hard to... To get the information out there, there've been. I think there was. There's, there's a couple of forums this week, but as I say, that because of everything else going on, there's been less coverage of this this uh, campaign than many. And I think the the, uh, the the resources like that, like like you're putting out, are going to be the one of the best sources for voters to learn about the candidates. Yeah, you know, in line with our earlier conversation about what to do to make things ha better in Flint. Here we go. This is one area. We can think about trying to get different leadership in those positions. If we don't like what's happening, this is how democracy is supposed to work, right? Throw that's the right. bums out if you don't like what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. I'll know good. because we all follow this, the percentage of people that come out for primary elections, <laughs> particularly in it's, August. It's, it's, it's going to be awful, but yeah. I really appreciate what you're trying to do to get the news out there because everybody bitches, pardon my language, about it. Uh, but we gotta what the power we have to try to improve things here is our vote. You know, I I had one of the seventh ward the seventh ward uh, opposition candidate uh, came to my door um, a couple days ago 
on one of those days when it was like 90 degrees and 95% humidity. Uh-huh. She was going door to door, and I sat on my front porch and talked to her for about 15 minutes. I really appreciated that opportunity. Like, it feels like, you know, that's democracy in action. It's somebody trying to convince me of her point of view, points of view, um, and I had a conversation with her. That's like local politics at its best. And I, I got to, you know... I've got to give her credit for going out on that day and uh, and going door to door. So thank you, Tom, for what you're trying to do too. We we have to we have to remember that our job, if we want things to get better, is to participate. We just have That's to. That's right. Can't well, I remember one time, and I, I used to be a lot better about this, and then I got a little burned out on chasing uh, candidates around, but. Um, I, remember, I know. I remember one time uh, I, I had someone tell me after they had voted that they knew every single candidate on the ballot because of listening to my show. Oh, that's yeah. that's great. That was, that was probably the best compliment I, I've ever had. That's so great. Was it? No, it really, it really is a very valuable resource. That, uh, yeah. And the fact that it, that the, the the broadcasts are available even after the day you broadcast them, so so voters can go and you know check the archives and and learn about their award. Yeah, each each day, um, like Thursday, July fifteenth is the second ward, and uh, Maurice Davis and and Art Woodson have already agreed to be on the show, and and there are I think two other candidates that I'm still waiting to to confirm. And so the whole three-hour show will be dedicated to the second ward. That will be up in the archive by mid-afternoon that uh-huh. day. And that will continue every day. So there will be an opportunity to find your ward in the archive and, and get to learn about the candidates. Right. That's great. Thank you. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. just just a Give little... People- Plug. I mean, I already got my absentee ballot, so that worked for me. Um, uh, everything seemed to go very efficiently this time around for me to get my absentee ballot. Do you think? Do you think we're going to have any luck getting anybody to vote this August? I, I hope so. Yeah, I, we've got our absentee ballots already too. And uh, but as I said, given given the, the past past habits, I I think as I said before, I think if we if we hit twenty percent, I'll be surprised. If we hit double digits, I'll be surprised. Yeah, it may, it may, I was going to say it may be notably lower than that, but 20% has been kind of the ballpark average over the last couple of decades, but it's been even lower in recent years. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tom's doing his part. You're doing your part. Yeah. EVM's trying to do our part. Yeah. Tom's trying to do his part. Let's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to squeeze in one more plug about <laughs> about tomorrow's show. Because it's it's really kind of exciting. Paul, are you familiar with the name Gary Davis, citizen number one? Hmm, I don't know that I am. Well, there was a guy right after World War II who dropped his citizenship and tried to establish a world citizenship. Hmm. And it even got so far as he had signed up several hundred people from around the world but he was uh, considered citizen number one anyway uh, a new documentary film is available on uh, public television and and online uh, called the world is my country and it's uh, it's a documentary about this guy who tried to become the first world citizen 
where he owed allegiance to no country, just to the planet. Was that tied in any way? Wasn't there a movement about that same time uh, to make Esperanto some kind of a world language? I, I, I don't know that that's... I don't know much more about that than that, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, the filmmaker is going to be on the show tomorrow. We'll be talking about that. And also, the uh, forensic anthropologist that inspired the TV show Bones is going to be on the show tomorrow, too. Kathy Reichs. (laughs) Anyway, we'll be back with the X-Files right after this. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. 
Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, by the way, we have Henry back with us uh, after a little phone trouble and, and glad to have him back as well. Um, and this, this is where we talk about those weird and wacky stories that seem strange but are in fact true. And this is one of my favorites ever. Deputies responding to a report of a stolen vehicle in Waterboro early Sunday morning stopped a man walking nearby the York County Sheriff's Office, wrote in a Facebook post. They determined that he was not involved but arrested him on an outstanding warrant for theft from a Walmart, Sheriff William King said. The man said he had enough money to post $200 in bail, but when the bail commissioner arrived, he tried to pay with two counterfeit $100 bills. (laughs) (laughs) He was denied bail and was returned to jail with the additional charge of forgery. The man was able to post $100 in bail later in the day, the sheriff's office said his court date is scheduled for August 4th. Would a forged or bad... um, or bad check have worked better? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> God, I think that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Trying to pay bail with counterfeit bills. That's right. That's brilliant. Oh Lord. But but it's creative though, guys. You, you can put anything over on any people at any time, according to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> 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 you got to be careful. <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, An exit off Interstate 95 in Florida had to be closed for three hours after a hundred homing pigeons fell off a truck and refused to move, posing a driving hazard to motorists, officials said Wednesday. A crate carrying a hundred homing pigeons fell off the truck late Tuesday near Daytona Beach. Because the birds roost at night, the pigeons stayed on the road until bright lights from vehicles startled them. They flew into the air and created a hazard for drivers, according to a news release from county officials. 
It's the worst case scenario, homing pigeons that can't find their home, <laughs> according to the news release. <laughs> Sheriff's deputies, state troopers, and animal service workers attempted to capture the pigeons, ultimately recovering 73. The birds weren't banded, so their owner wasn't immediately determined, officials said. Our job is to help animals find their way home, whether they're covered in fur scales or, in this case, feathers, said County Animal Control Officer Alicia Dees. We're hoping someone out there might have information on where these birds came from or the truck that was carrying them. Should Florida Department of Transportation post some special signs to help lost homing pigeons find their way? Homing pigeon crossing, maybe? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> something. I don't know. Uh, and uh, I don't know. let's see, here's, here's one that's kind of fun. A mixed media painting attributed to Pablo Picasso has been sold after spending 50 years in a closet in a house in Maine. John McInnes Auctioneers, based in Massachusetts, confirmed that the painting entitled The Tricorn sold on Saturday, the Boston Globe reported. The 16 by 16 inch painting is signed and dated in the year 1919. It is believed to be a study for the stage curtain Picasso painted for a ballet of the same name that debuted that year in London, according to the New York Historical Society. The curtain, that curtain has been on display at the Historical Society in New York City since 2015. The website liveauctioneers.com reported the sale price of the painting was $150,000 plus a 24% buyer's premium. Neither the buyer nor the seller was named, but the seller gave a statement on the website saying the painting was found in a closet of a home his father inherited from a female relative who studied art in Europe in the 1920s. Mm. Is mm. this incentive to clean out closets? Especially, <laughs> yeah, especially <I> so. <laughs> if you have relatives that studied art in Europe a hundred years ago. Exactly. Yeah, you never know what you're going to find stashed away in some of those closets. Hmm. I'm pretty sure there's a Van Gogh in my closet somewhere. I, I'm all yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll keep an ear out. Uh, <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> a guard was fired and arrested after trying to smuggle prescription stimulant pills into a South Carolina women's prison by hiding them in Rice Krispies treats, authorities said. Marcy Schaefer, 43, took the treats out of their original packages, pushed the pills inside, and put them in a plastic bag, according to arrest warrants. Schaefer was caught as she tried to take the treats into a Camille Graham Correctional Institution on Thursday, the Department of Corrections said in a statement, Schaefer hid four amphetamine and dextroamphetamine pills in the treats and had two more in a prescription bottle, which was not labeled for the drugs, according to the warrants. Schaefer is charged with possession of narcotics with intent to distribute, furnishing prisoners with contraband and misconduct in office. She faces one to ten years in prison if convicted of the contraband charge. Would hmm. s'mores have been a better hiding place than Rice Krispies treats? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you're funny today. Uh, well, <laughs> so, some days I just feel funny. Uh, <laughs> but that wraps it up for uh, Armchair Politics today on uh, Armchair Politics on the uh, 
Tom Sumner program, the X Files, uh, our final our final segment. Except that we have we have two or three minutes left in case anybody has some final thoughts. Well, I I would like to, uh, as part of my weekly uh, look at government functioning, I would like to name uh, Mayor Neely uh, for setting the best example of attempting to make government work uh, for Americans uh, in the third decade of this 21st century. You mean with regard to the garbage the issue especially, Henry? Yes. And, and yeah, he, he, did, he did step forward and take, at least get, and, got us garbage pickup last week. That's true. Yeah, I, and you know, and I think that this is not, I, I hope this is not the only example of where that is trying to get people to work together for the common cause for the American people because the yeah. American people is not, are not getting it now. We're, we're, yeah, amen. we're getting positions from uh, strong sides that say, my side is the only side and and uh, that's the way it has to be. But that, I can't live with that. I can't yeah. live with that. Right. Uh, because, and I don't think that my side should be any bigger than anybody else's side, but let us work together. You know, it's difficult for us to work together as human beings, even for man and wife and yeah. families and kids, but we got to do better than what we're doing. Well, you Absolutely. know, Harry, one thing we've said here before is we, the key thing is restoring trust, whether it's the Flint water crisis or, or the White House or all points in between. We've really lost trust in all kind of elements of of the system, not just the governmental system, but even even beyond sure. that. That's that's a lot. Of the, I think that's our biggest task. Yeah, well, I mean, my comment. Thank you. I, I want to say to many of our government employees, the Flint School Board and and the Flint City Council, both. It's like stop the squabbling and solve the problem. Solve some problems. <laughs> that's leadership. Help us. Help us get better. Help the community mm-hmm. get better. I'm tired of the squabbling. I'm really tired of it. And I sense that you are, as many people are tired of it. But as long as the tail, sometimes the tail is wagging the dog. Uh-huh. And people were elected to do the job that they best, uh, that, that was outlined in the Constitution. It's That's a simple right. thing. And yeah. everybody counts. My gosh, right. they don't have to have all the same look alike they don't have to have the same money and stuff like that but we have so many things that's disrupting that for example race gender and the sneaky growing gap and and the wealth gap that mm-hmm. has the stealth of um of revolution behind it but we don't yeah. see that we're, we're dwelling on trivial things and all of these other things that happen uh, uh, you know uh are ripe for a revolution. Well, that's the perfect note to end on, and I want to say thank you to Henry Hatter. Always a pleasure, Henry. Thank you. And uh, Paul Rosicki, thank you for uh, participating in uh, Armchair Politics each week. And Jan Worth Nelson, it's always a delight when you're here, and I will follow up on that Facebook message about uh, writing candidates for city council. I love you guys. Take care, Thank Jan. You. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Bye-bye. And that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So with that being said, have a great rest of the day. Good night, everybody. 
Somner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.